Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Time out of the board, hey ho here, and I'm very pleased to tell you that the weird white screen era of ups and downs and the crazy echoey noise is coming to an end. Hooray! This is the last video I shall do from this shack and normal programming will be back at the weekend. But before we do get there, we have to take the finger of power of the fop and give the good bits and up and the bad bits and downs when it comes to AEW Dynamite. And because I have created my own end of era, what a way this was to go out. We had one hell of a main event. Let's up those downs. Start Dynamite this week because I watch it on Fight, and for some reason, for a good few minutes, it just said, AEW will be live in just one second. Although, if there was going to be any episode where I did miss some stuff, when it did kick in, it was Brody King versus Darby and in a coffin match. In about three seconds, I was like, <laughs> they're just trying to kill each other. I did go and have a quick read, and of course, Darby Allen had a thumbtack skateboard that he smacked Brody with. And then after King had spent about 72 years stacking up all these tables, he went for a dive off the top and he crashed through them himself. I just did this. I was like, this is the opening match and these two guys gone crazy. We also had to go shout out to the woman in the crowd because when Brody King did reveal a table, she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. This is the kind of energy we all need to channel. When there was even more shenanigans, just as Darby Allen was going to do one of his dives because the lights went off then there was a big pause, and when the lights came back on, well, you should probably already know this one, the House of Black were in the ring. He tried to attack anyway when Julia Hart grabbed his foot, which caused the distraction, and then the HOB absolutely wrecked him. And I'm glad this happened, because it was a no-disqualification match. Obviously, it was a damn coffin match. Why wouldn't your buddies come out and try to help? Alan then got thrown through another table, and just when it seemed like King was going to put him in the coffin, the greatest thing ever happened, because he opened the lid, and who was laying in it? It was Sting with a baseball bat. And the reason this made me laugh so much, it means Darby Allen and Sting had a conversation backstage where Sting was like, well, do you want me to come out and assist? He's like, no, 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 you hide in the coffin and then blah, you go get him. He is just the best person on the planet though and I basically love him and he did take his bat and he started hitting people when he confronted Malachi Black and he threw the weapon at him and he was like, come on then, boy, you want to go? Let's go. And Malachi, man, I tell you, he was just like, no, man, I don't want any of this and he scurried off but you know what this did? It just made Sting an even bigger legend than he already is. The Stinger had also changed his face paint because, of course, the last time we saw him, he had the mist sprayed into his skull. So that's a fun gimmick we can keep an eye on. And then the finish to this, I'll just tie it up for you. Darby Allen got a chain. He smacked Brody in the head over and over again. And, of course, throughout this feud, King has been trying to kill Darby 
by strangling him. So how did Alan get his revenge? He applied a choke just as Brody King was about to die, because that's what happens when you have no oxygen. He fell to the floor, he rolled into the coffin, the lid was shut, Darby Allen wins. This is really smart as well, because even though Darby did get the victory, Brody didn't really lose, because again, he just got trapped in a coffin. So it is a round of applause all around for this one. Let's get it up. John Moxley promo next, and this has almost become his spot on AEW Dynamite. And he told us that the meaning of being world champion is learning how to endure pain. Uh, John, I don't think that's true. He promised that he was going to break the last survivor of the Heart Dungeon later. And I tell you this, Chris Jericho versus John Moxley for that championship. Well, it felt like a big deal instantly. But then jumped to Jericho too, who was going to save some words. And he has shaved because obviously he was tying into the Lionheart character. And honestly, you would never believe this man was 50 years old. And he was all going, oh man, I don't care about you, Mox, because Stu Hart was a sadistic, crazy mother Hubbard. So you don't stand a chance, I'm going to win. The real best part about all of this, though, is that because it was the wizard, did I actually 100% believe that John Moxley was going to retain? No, there was that seed of doubt, which you always need. We then finally got the brackets for the trio title tournament, which was kind of very handy, because I'm pretty sure the finals are all out, which is happening in like two days or something. And that damn door is opened again, and I wrote them down so I didn't forget, because we are getting Death Triangle versus Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open, and that match is going to be unreal. Andrade, Dragon Lee, and Rush versus the Young Bucks, and maybe Hangman Adam Page, but maybe not. We'll talk about it later. The House of Black versus the Dark Order and the Trust Busters versus the Best Friends. Now you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, who are the Trust Busters? Because you will have indeed have to have seen AEW Dark Elevation because it is the team of Ari Davari, Slim J, and former NXT Parker Bordeaux. Now I think it's really cool they are involved because if you are trying to make new stars, put them in the tournament. But my disappointment came from the fact that there's so many guys we're not seeing. Like, why don't we have a team from the Black Bull Combat Club? Why don't we have a team from the Jericho Appreciation Society? And then there's the Factory. Eddie Kingston could go and get some friends. The Varsity Blondes could have a buddy. You've got Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh. Just thought it was a missed opportunity. I mean, when you break it right down, it just seems odd that the BCC, who are so intent on taking OAW and wearing the gold, wouldn't be interested. And also, what was it based on in order to get into the damn thing? I still think it's going to be absolutely fire, and I have a feeling the finals are going to be crazy. Like I say, made me a sad panda down. Do not worry about that, though, because it was then Andrade and Roosh taking on the Lucha Brothers, and this was flubbing ridiculous. And it was one of these where I just go, I don't know how I'm going to recount this because it's too crazy, especially as it was a tornado tag match, which means you didn't need to do tags. So basically, the tag klaxon huh, was going off the entire time, including just these simultaneous dives at the start of the thing when people were pinging over the top rope. It was like they were trying to win a gold medal in the Olympics. Phoenix doesn't like to stay down, though, because he then hit this springboard hurricane runner and then Pentuas hitting this backstabber. And I was trying to time them. So I was like, they're so damn fast. I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, at one point, Andrade just freaked out and he took one brother and threw them into the other one, which meant we had human projectiles. Although later on, he did accidentally boot Roosh in the face. You don't have to worry about that, though, because almost instantly, Roosh was back up. He slammed Phoenix with his powerbomb. When from nowhere, Penta was here, he hit a rolling cutter. And I was like, how the hell did they work this thing out? It's like the most impossible math equation, and I can't figure it out. As you know, though, throughout this entire feud, Andrade and Roosh have just been obsessed with the Lucha Brothers masks. 
So at one point, they just grabbed Penta and they tied his headwear to the middle rope. And I checked, that's not good. This allowed the bad guys to finish off Phoenix, but just as they were about to make the pin, Penta sacrificed his face, he removed his mask because then he could get away from the ropes, and he broke up the pin. And honestly, this just had so much emotion to it. And yeah, the timing was a little bit off, but who cares? When you break it down, look at the context. I was like, oh my gosh, he loves him. Andrade is such a prick. He picked up the mask and threw it into the crowd as the fans started to chant, throw it back. Well, I don't think anybody did. When for the 72,976th time, Jose the assistants and Alex Abrahante started to fight each other. And throughout all this fracas, Phoenix then hit the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment. What a near fall. Sadly, it didn't work though, because he got back to his feet. He got hit by the bullhorns as Andrade scored with the hammerlock DDT. And the referee counted one, two, three, and Andrade and his buddy won. Honestly though, just go and watch it and chuckle to yourself the whole time going, ha ha ha, how the hell are these guys human? Super fun. We then got right into some more story because we were backstage with Brandon Cutler and the Young Bucks who said, hey Brad, follow us. We're about to do something massive. And they really did. They found Hangman Adam Page, who was hanging out with the Dark Order, and they said, look, we haven't been very nice to you. We can't horrible people, but you bring out the best in us. Maybe we should get back together and go into that trio's tournament. I was like, damn it, something in my eye. Amazingly though, the cowboy said that he wasn't able to do it because he hasn't forgotten the past. And also, he has to be in the corner of the Dark Order because they have been him for the last couple of years and he can't turn his back on them now. Wouldn't be very nice. It wouldn't be very cowboy-like. The Young Bucks looked totally broken up about this too and they just stormed off and told Brandon Cutler to go away because he was being a jabroni. And if you did this, which was a very strange thing to do, I bet you would have smelt Kenny Omega. I think it's coming. And now I have no idea what's going to happen here. This was a little bit of a curveball, but I love this narrative. Hits me in the tum-tum up. Luchasaurus then went crazy because he was having a match against Anthony Henry. And poor Anthony Henry, his whole plan was, well, I'm going to hit this dinosaur with an insecurity. He did that. He just got murked. Because he then got absolutely mullered by the Fossilizer, which is one of the best names ever. And Luchasaurus got the win. I was like, man, he ain't getting paid by the hour. Straight away, Christian Cage popped up on the big screen, though, and just started going, man, I'm a dick, I'm going to say terrible things. And given the Jungle Boy was on commentary, he got up and he just legged it. And I was like, man, if there's a car backstage, somebody better go and remove it because we know what Jungly Jim is like. But this is when Luchasaurus also got pissed off. He went to the backstage area as well. He started to beat up all the security guards and he headbutted. Pat Buck. Now, interestingly, Jungle acted a bit like, well, that was way too much. I was like, listen to me, boy. You don't get to say that. Last week, you tried to kill somebody in a vehicle. So if anybody has raised the bar, it's you. And maybe now you need to turn it back down. But seriously, how mad is this feud? It has leveled up to insane degrees. And of course, they will have a match at the All Out pay-per-view. But I still think something else is coming. I don't know what it is. But I enjoy the fact that I do feel this way. It's how some stories should make you feel. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. 
We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to <laughs> pretend that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. In. Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Miro was then cutting another one of his excellent promos, and as much as I like these, putting my foot down, can we please just have him back on TV properly, and can we please just have him in some damn badges? Thank you. Julia Hart did interrupt him, but he was basically like, you're not my wife, you better back off, and as ever, we are teasing, is he joining the House of Black, or is he going to beat them up? I would choose this one, let's just have a big old program, and let's have Miro win, and then let's make Miro the AEW World Champion. Look at my face, I'm not joking. They kind of did the same thing with Powerhouse Hobbs because he was in the back as well. When the factory approached him, he was like, look, don't worry about Ricky Starks, we're gonna take him out later. And William was like, listen, you better get out of my face, otherwise I'll drop you too. I tell you, I like this new attitude with Powerhouse Hobbs. If we put him correctly, AEW was just going sports entertainment after this because out came Lethal Satnam and Sanjay Dutt and they were all like, Wardlow, we threw you through a table last week so maybe you want to get out here so we can have a TNT title shot. Because Wardlow was a super babyface, he just turned up and said, yeah, all right, I'll beat all three of you up right now. And just as he was going to do that, FTR's music hit, the place came unglued, and they stood by their pinnacle brother, as if to say, well, we ain't having none of it. And what was really cool about this is that it didn't feel like Wardlow had asked them for help. They had just seen it going on. They were like, no, we don't like it. It ended with the bad guys running away, apart from Lethal, who thought he saw an opening. He tried to jump Wardlow. It did not work, and he got slammed with the big rig. I'm going to be that guy here. Wouldn't it be nice if they were now going to do a trios match that was going into the title tournament? I don't know. I'm being a massive geek. But overall, though, I do think it's fine. I wouldn't say it's lighting the world on fire or anything. And it would be really good if we had, like, an elongated TNT title program that we could sink our teeth into. But again, it came, it went, it was short, it was fine. Up. 2.0 Daniel Garcia and Anna JAS were then backstage and they too were going, oh man, we can't wait for Chris Jericho to win because we're going to have a massive party. 
When Garcia was like, yeah, we are gonna do that. But also don't forget, I hate Brian Danielson and I'm now the Dragon Slayer. This is when all of a sudden from nowhere, Anna J started going, wait a minute, you piece of trash. You don't believe he's the Dragon Slayer, do you? When the camera kind of zoomed out, Rebel was there and Anna just started choking her out going, ah. Now this is the second time she's done this and it is completely justified to her heel turn. She is now an absolute loon, and I laugh through all of it, it rocks. And then the Ricky Starks face push got his proper start because he was indeed taken on Aaron Solo from the factory. The factory were ringside, including Carter Cole, who must have accepted their invitation. And in around about 10 seconds, he tried to interfere, he failed. The ref was like, yeah, all you guys gotta go. I was like, Carter. That is not a good induction. It did mean this match was over pretty quickly after Ricky just hit the Rochambeau and the spear for the one, two, three. This is when my friend Harry Nick Comorato came back out and he was dressed like a cartoon character, which was absolutely wonderful. And of course, they were gonna go beat Ricky Starks up. Now, Rick was able to get away when we zoomed backstage and Powerhouse Hobbs just went, ah, and he broke a television set. So of course, once again, we are probably building up to Ricky Starks versus Powerhouse Hobbs at All Out. And the reason we have injected the factory into this is because Hobbs is going to win and they can come out and cast distraction. And that is all well and good, but it does kind of feel like a strange out of nowhere inclusion into this whole thing. I mean, sometimes when it comes to pro wrestling, you just want to see one guy fight another guy because they hate each other. None of this sucks though, and it's quite clear the idea is to turn Ricky Starks into a massive star while also making sure we lift up the powerhouse. And this is what I want from AEW. Homegrown stars getting theirs up. Poor Austin and Colton Gunn too, because they were in the back with Daddy Billy, who was just like, you are terrible, terrible children. You ruined that dumpster match last week, which is especially painful for me, because that was the only match I was in that I made famous. Interestingly, Stokely Hathaway then zoomed in, and it kind of felt like he was trying to recruit Austin and Colton, so I have to keep an eye on that one. And after Billy Gunn had told him to go away, Dan Housen walked in, and I tell you, bless Bill, he was so happy to see Dan Housen, who also tells on Rampage that it's going to be Bearhausen versus the Gun Club. And I did some digging, and I think that is Eric Redbeard and Dan Housen coming together to form a team. I couldn't be more excited. We also gave some story to the Trustbusters versus the Best Friends, because these two did find each other in the back. And Davari was all like, Orange, I've been texting you. Why haven't you texted me back? Cassidy was like, because I don't really care about life, why would I use a phone? I would admit that this was a little bit weird and I'm just not feeling it right now, but let us wait and see what happens. And then we got Jade Cargill versus Madison Rain for the TBS Championship. And I won't lie, never thought that Jade Cargill was gonna lose. And what I also didn't see was that even though Madison did get a few shots in there, this was basically Jade being all like, man, I am super duper strong. And whatever you do, I'm just gonna stop it and I'm gonna slam you on your ass. I mean, Rain was able to hit an early Hurricane Rana, but then Kira Hogan was interfering, so Cargill just ran through Madison Rain with a spear. And from there, it really was just beating, beating, beating. Madison gets a little bit of a hope. Kira does some casting of distraction, and we're back to beating, beating, beating. And sure, Rain was able to hit this flipping neck breaker thing, but even when she made the cover, as we've already noted, I was like, well, she ain't gonna get the three count, because even if we had have done that, wouldn't have made any sense. So ultimately, eventually, Madison went for the cross rain and Cargill was like, I ain't having none of that. She smashed her with the jaded one, two, three. 
and this really, really did feel effortless. We were also told during this that Chris Statlander is injured, so that absolutely sucks, and I hope she's doing okay. But it did kind of set up our post-match angle, because Athena ran out, she kind of took out Tay Gargill, and she took out Kira Hogan, and then she was all like, come on, man, let's fight for the belt. And all of a sudden, I was going, wait a minute, where the hell is Red Velvet and Layla Gray? Maybe they're injured too, and I missed it, but it did make it a bit strange. And also, when it comes to this match, we need to do it soon. I'm going to assume it will be at the pay-per-view, but it has been going on way too long. It's time to pull the trigger, but once again, this was a decent match. We continue to turn Jade Cargill into a super duper megastar. I tell you this, I still don't think she should lose for ages. Up. Got more info about that Statlander injury after this as well, because due to that, Tony Storm is now the number one contender. So we saw Thunder Rosie and Tony backstage, and they were like, oh man, I can't believe this has happened, but I suppose it is wrestling. And Storm was like, ha ha, my big dream is to win that championship. So now I'm gonna presume that when we get to the pay-per-view, we are gonna do Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm versus Britt Baker, because she has been involved with this too. That should be pretty good. Excalibur then did his usual, I'm going to win the world record for speaking so far. So he ran down everything that's gonna be happening on Rampage and Dynamite next week. <laughs> there is so much on Friday's show, I don't know how they're going to get it in. When it was time for our main event, John Moxley versus Chris Jericho for the AEW World title. Now let's not pretend that wrestling isn't all about stars because it totally is. Because from the moment they looked at each other from across the ring, this just felt like a massive deal. I mean, it's Chris Jericho and it's John Moxley. And while I believe that Moxley would retain, as we've already talked about, I couldn't be sure. They both flipped each other off to begin with because why wouldn't you do that when they did some wrestling? Although, as soon as they were done with that, they both tried to hit their finishes. I was like, well, why not? You may as well try and get it over and done quick. As this was meant to be young Jericho though, he then also went into the submissions and I really enjoyed that. But then he went a bit crazy because he went up to John Moxley's ear and he ripped out his earring. I never ever want to see that again in my life. And then John went to the outside and the camera may have caught him doing something to his head. And then all of a sudden, bada bing, da boom, he was bleeding again. Which leads me to say, if you are fighting John Moxley and you want to win, just challenge him to a first blood match. You will 100% get the victory. The champion was able to fight back by going after Jericho's joints when they were both German suplexing each other. And by the time they were tussling on the top, and Jericho gave Moxley a Hurricane Rana from all the way up there. I was like, man, we all need to remember that Chris Jericho is no spring chicken and he's still doing stuff like this. The man is great. We even got the old Bret Hart spot here because Jericho went to the outside and he applied the figure four around the ring post, which I always enjoy. And then when they were back in the squared circle, he applied the walls of Jericho and he had Moxley in this for so long. We went into a commercial and we came out the other side and the fans were losing their minds. So once again, this was just two pros who knew exactly what they were doing. Somebody send them a fruit basket. Moxie also scored with a double axe handle, so I was like, yeah, because I want that move to come back. Although when he went for another one, he got code-breakered. And this is when all of a sudden Sammy Guevara was in the crowd, and he tried, this was brilliant, to throw in Floyd the baseball bat, but clearly he's been bumping the weights because the black flew over the ring and it went to the outside so Jericho had to be like, you absolute goober. He ran outside, he picked it up. He did thwack John Moxley in the face, one, two, kick out. They're both going for the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment because they know the deal. 
when Jericho scored with the Judas effect. And as soon as that happened, the commentators went nuts like, oh my gosh, that's the end. Because nobody has ever kicked out of that move, which of course meant John Moxley kicked out at 2.99999. Now, as a small criticism, I think it would have been better if we had mentioned that after the fact, but it still worked. I actually thought Jericho was going to win. He was also so mad he went to grab the title belt, but throughout all this fracas, the turnbuckle had been exposed, so Moxley booted him into that. Jericho started to bleed when John snuck up behind him and started to choke him out. And as we have said a thousand times, even in this episode of Dynamite, if you cannot breathe, you will die. Somehow Jericho was able to get out of that and apply the Lion Tamer, which was really cool, because once again, you're like, oh my gosh, maybe he's going to do it. But eventually Moxley worked back into the choke and the very last second, Chris did tap out because he wanted to stay alive. And this gets a round of applause too. It was such a good main event. I love this. There's also mad fallout from this because out came the Jericho Appreciation Society and out came the Blackpool Combat Club and they started to beat each other up, which will be the story, until the end of times. But then from nowhere, cult and personality started to play and out came CM Punk, who was even hopping on his foot to be like, ha ha, I'm healed. He got rid of absolutely everybody that he needed to do when he did start looking at John Moxley and as we have said many a time in wrestling, when you stare at someone, the sh**'s on. Instantly, John just flipped Punk off and he left the ring, as Punk was allowed to stay in the ring, and received all this adulation. So this does mean that it is CM Punk versus John Moxley, title versus title versus All Out. I just got my wallet and I threw it at the TV screen, and I remember that's not how pay-per-views work. All of this was top, top stuff, though, and it got you excited, which is what all wrestling shows should be doing. It is getting it up. Which brought us to the end of another episode of AEW Dynamite. And I thought it did a really good job. And finally, finally, we are building to that pay-per-view. Because it really is very soon. Maybe we should have done a little bit more. 